Seek him who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I went to church at the 9 o'clock service at St. James Cathedral in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. The 9 o'clock is the service geared towards families with kids, and when the time, and when the time for the sermon came, the priest came down into the congregation to where the kids were playing in the front of the church. I wonder if one of you can give me a word for what God is like, he said. A young boy piped up immediately. Dangerous, he shouted. <laughs> Dangerous, the priest repeated obviously wondering whether crowdsourcing this sermon was a good idea. <laughs> Anyone else? He asked. Peaceful, shouted a little girl. Well, this will be interesting, I thought to myself. Well, when I was these kids' age, though I had no particular beliefs about God at that time, if you had to pin me down, I would definitely have been on Team Dangerous. In fourth grade, for a time, I suffered vague but intense terrors, a conviction that something malevolent was out to get me. It was disruptive. My parents and my teachers were worried. My own memories of it are hazy. The only image I can conjure up these 30 years on is of Mrs. Miller, my fourth grade teacher, comforting me one afternoon in the hallway. I have no idea what caused it. Maybe it was the explosion of the Challenger space shuttle, or my dawning awareness of strange desires that seemed different from the other boys, or the death of my classmate Amy, who died of smoke inhalation in a house fire caused by her uncle falling asleep lit cigarette in hand. If before I knew it intellectually, I was now coming to know viscerally that the world isn't always a safe place. At the same time, I was like all other nine-year-old boys. I loved dinosaurs and I loved space. My brother and I shared a bunk bed for a few years and at night, the top bunk was his, but during the day, I used the access to the ceiling to create a makeshift planetarium. I cut the sun and planets out of construction paper and hung them up with thread and tape. For verisimilitude, I was sure to include a belt of asteroids between Mars and Jupiter, and in the far, far corner of the room, by the window and the closet door, I hung Pluto, still a planet then, <laughs> which was the hardest planet to make because even the best telescopes of 1986 rendered it as only a distant blur. I don't know about you, 
but it was difficult for me to contain my excitement a few months ago when the New Horizons spacecraft made its flyby of Pluto. And isn't NASA the best? They launch a rocket in 2006, and we forget all about it, and then one day, nine years later, they're like, it's Christmas, guys! Here's some amazing pictures of Pluto! <laughs> and then they deliver, beamed from billions of miles away by a machine the size of a grand piano, Floating through, through the cosmos, Pluto and its moon were revealed as tranquil spheres suspended in the dark. In my favorite image, Pluto's surface is bathed in the pale light of the sun, its moon, Charon, behind it, ghostly, is partway through the slow orbit it makes once every 6,000 days. It's like a snapshot of lovers locked in an embrace that began on the day God laid the cornerstone of the universe and the morning stars sang together. Human eyes will never look on these two again, not in our lifetimes anyway. Yet their spinning continues, observed only by the eye of the one who made them. For a moment, remember the things that you have lost. Parents, friends, children, lovers and spouses, partners who would have been spouses if only the law had changed sooner. Remember the dreams you've had for your career or the benighted years lost to an addiction or an abusive relationship. Think about the wrong turns, the bad luck, the ill health, that conversation, the phone call, the knock on the door when everything changed. We suffer. We suffer. Job has lost family, farm, riches, and health. This, though he has followed the law, offered the sacrifices, has been an upright man, done everything right, and yet his life has become a litany of sorrows, a history of loss. His desire is to come to God's dwelling, to make his case as if he's a lawyer, to carry out a cross-examination, sure that an upright person can reason with the mind of God. And at length, God appears, but is in no mood for reason. God appears as a whirlwind, a thundering storm, howling at Job to put him up. Gird up your loins like a man, Job. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, Job, about your ability to send forth lightning from your fingertips. Can you give me directions, Job, to the dwelling of light? Have you entered the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the trenches of the deep? I am the God who formed you in your mother's womb, yes, but I too 
formed the mountain goats who roam on the hillsides. I am the father of lions who will ravage your livestock. I am the mother of ravens who pick your bones. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. What's there to say? Job has argued with eternity and has reached the inevitable end of any such argument. See, I am of small account, he says. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand upon my mouth. God's response to Job is an accusation, yes, but not just that. It is a self-revelation of a God who is present in the fury of lightning and tides, but who is in tender attendance at births in mountain crags, a God who at the creation was greeted by the stars with shouts of joy. God doesn't give Job the answer he wants, but he reveals himself to Job and to us as a whirlwind that humbles but does not destroy, a fire that burns but does not consume, a swallowing abyss that does not drown, a God whose glory contains far stars, whose light will never reach the earth, who yet finds a home in a young woman's womb and for a time lived and died alongside us, his beloved. God's response to Job is stern, but not contemptuousness, a loving reproof that in the face of eternity, we can only know so much. God sinks the foundations of the universe, sets the bounds of the oceans, and also the bounds of our lives. And then loving us, God comes in the form of Jesus to show us how to live as small creatures in a big creation. Responding to James and John who desire glory, Jesus asks, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In Mark's gospel, which we hear from today, Jesus is baptized about half a page in, and then he's off to the races, healing the sick, bringing sight to the blind, driving out demons, and teaching the mysteries of the kingdom of God as his disciples struggle to keep up. The cup Jesus drinks is the cup of mortality, yes, but it is also the cup of celebration at a wedding, of dinners with tax collectors and sinners. The way, the truth, the life that Jesus shows us is of making meaning by pouring ourselves out, giving our gifts of healing to those who are sick, giving our gifts of joy to those who rejoice, mourning alongside those who mourn. We here, this cold morning, are benefits of the gifts those who have come before us have shared from 100 generations and more ago, we received the testimony of scripture, written on scrolls, preserved by scribes and monks who copied them by hand 
through the ages. Nine generations ago, Bishop Jackson Kemper left the comforts of city life and began a series of events that eventually led to the laying of this building's cornerstone. And within the memory of many of us is the, willing of the willingness of this church to stare suffering in the face, to offer shelter to the homeless, funerals to those other churches thought unworthy of a decent burial, healing prayer to those others were afraid to touch. The miracle of all saints is how its edifice is made up not just of bricks, but of a love poured out by ordinary people who have not flinched from suffering, who have given time, prayer, hope, and have made the sacrifices of their own lives to provide the gift of sustainability through checks written confidently or tentatively, the intentional letting go of a portion of God's gifts. Together and with God's help, we have created a home where we can live joyful lives despite hardships, standing in awe of God, the eternal source of our being. How will you follow the example of the ones who made this place. The world isn't safe. You don't need me to tell you that. We, we suffer and we don't know why. And our best response is to say, as Job does, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. There are mountains on Pluto. We didn't know about those before. Glimpsed by us once and forever after unseen, their peaks cast shadows on dusty plains that no human foot will ever tread. They wait in darkness. dangerous and peaceful. This is the unknowable heart of God. Our time is short. In the face of our smallness, overshadowed by eternity, let us follow Jesus' example and love one another. <laughs>